0: This is the Business Storytelling Podcast with Christoph Trapp. Available on Google, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, and other podcast channels. Want to play it on your iPhone? Just ask Siri to play the Christoph Trapp Business Storytelling Podcast. Also available on Alexa. Here's Christoph with today's episode.
1: morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Another live stream here where we're live on Amazon, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitch, YouTube. That's how we do it today in content marketing and trying to reach our audiences. Everybody's creating content. So I'm always pleased to hear what everybody else is doing in B2C marketing every year. I think it's every year. Content Marketing Institute publishes a report on what's new in B2C, how people are, uh, how are they creating content, what are they bringing in-house, what are they doing, what are the latest strategies, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, I can share the link with you and it is in the show notes um, where you can read the full report. Robert Rose actually did an article that published just a little bit ago, a couple minutes ago, right? Like two minutes before the show, I had enough time to read it. Um, But let's talk about what's new, what do we need to think about, and I'm pleased to have Stephanie Stahl on the show. She's the um, GM over at the Content Marketing Institute. And I, I don't know, I've known her for a number of years. I'm, I'm not supposed to say how long, uh, as Mark Schaefer told us on the on the show the other day, because that makes me look old. But let's get her out of the green room here. I'm pleased to have her on the show first time. Stephanie, thanks for joining us.
0: So happy to be here. You know, there's something a little bit surreal about Seeing you here, my watch telling me Christoph Trapp is live, and my phone dinging saying Christoph. Trapp. it's like all these things are happening at once, and uh, it's great to be here. Good morning.
1: Good morning. Bright and early, 7 a.m. here in, in the Chicago time zone. You're on the, on the East Coast, though, so a little later.
0: Yeah, a little bit later, just outside of uh, Washington, D.C., and I couldn't help but notice that Washington uh, football helmet and hat back there behind you. Uh, even better. All right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I took that off. So I actually, um, as you might know, um, so my my next book is launching um, March 10th, um, how to go live, why you should do it, et cetera, et cetera. And so one section will be, how do you dress on lives? You know, like what, what should you wear? And when I go speak, you know, as you know, I used to wear a suit and then I got a little bit more casual, but it was still pretty much a suit. And now I'm on these live shows and I'm wearing winter hats t-shirts it depends the marketing answer the marketing answer to all marketing questions um so i don't know it's it's kind of interesting how do you dress on a live i think you you know you wear whatever and yeah go watching lifelong fan
0: awesome awesome that's great i feel i feel the love here in dc that's great
1: (laughs) awesome well i keep my hat on just for you uh, what uh, tell us about the research uh, and remind people why why do you do it every year and 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 what's new this year?
0: Yeah, so this is our eleventh annual benchmarks, budgets, trends in content marketing, and uh, we do a B two B cut, we do a B two C cut, we do some you know industry cuts as well. Today we're excited to be releasing the B two C version. And much like what we saw with B2Bs and the survey, you know, uh, we did this in July. So we were pretty well into the pandemic. Right. So we were seeing a lot of changes, a lot of content changes, a lot of marketing changes, some dramatic, uh, some more dramatic than others. Um, but, you know, essentially we saw changes in editorial calendars, changes in messaging, Um changes in strategy that really, I think, will be lasting. And when I say that, I say, you know, in B2C, live streaming, there was a tremendous increase in live streaming. That shouldn't surprise you, right? Because you're you're a pro at this, but we saw a fairly sizable jump from about 13% last year to 35% in this survey. And You know, I think as we're all in this digital world and we're all getting more comfortable, all realize that this human connection that you can get on video and visual storytelling is priceless. And so it was very interesting to see that change.
1: I agree on the whole live streaming, of course. I mean, I I go live every day pretty much. The other day I I live streamed me... uh, snow blowing my driveway and you know a few hundred people watch that I don't know why but they but they did uh, I like to think these conversations are are more interesting but the other thing um, it is a human connection right because it's really, really or um, for a long time when we're on air Right, people either will like us or they won't like us, and um, so I think that's really great. But what are people doing um, when it comes to, to to live streaming? I mean, are they doing these talk shows, or they doing product reviews, or or like how do they make it interesting?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's all across the board, really. Uh, lots of variety. Uh, a lot of this, you know, a lot of just having conversations, just human conversations about any number of things. And um, in in those cases, you know, we all get um, a a healthy dose of ecstasy personality and, and, you know, personality of people behind brands. And I just think that's so valuable. It's great. I mean, you know, the other uh, interesting big change that we saw too was just B2Cs building communities, and it's the same sort of thing where there's such a need and a desire to want to engage with an audience, and there's no shortage of content and live streams and, you know, white papers and graphic, you know, there's no shortage of content out there, but if you can build your own community. And engage that way. I mean, of course, that I know that's not surprising, you know, to hear from somebody from the Content Marketing Institute because we're all about building audience. Uh, but that was a pretty interesting uh, change too, in terms of the numbers really going up there.
1: So what's interesting about the the community part too is, um, I mean, there's different types of communities, right? I mean, now, now we have. Uh, Facebook groups. I know Content Marketing World has one, and, and there was a good discussion happening in there during Content Marketing World, especially last year. And, and even now, still, you got the weekly Twitter chat. Uh, we had Mark Zohar on the show. They're trying to build communities on websites. And of course, my first comment was Ugh. in the blogs, in the comments, you know, it's like they're just a cesspool. I mean, who wants to read them? But at the end of the day, we do have to build those digital communities because. You know, I mean, with COVID, I'm not even leaving this place at all. I'm just right here. So how yeah. you, so what have you seen? How do people build communities and how how do people not get overwhelmed? I mean, I'm thinking about um, uh, Zoom meetings. You know, somebody says you want to do a Zoom happy hour, and I'm like, Are you kidding? I just had eight hours of Zoom calls today. Um, I'll go sit on the couch and and make my own cocktail by myself Um, so how do we how how do we build a community online and, and and at some point it needs to extend back into the offline world right where we see each other again
0: yeah well i mean and that's that's kind of what we're trying to do too with um with facebook so we started a community for content marketing world attendees when we had our digital event uh in october And we've tried to keep it going. You know, you can't we can't just be sort of a one and done. Right. So we were we had a very vibrant, active community during the show. But now we're using that as a place to live stream uh, each week where we take a track that was held at content marketing world. And we invite the speakers from that track to come in and we talk about it more. And it's a way to encourage people to also go back and watch those sessions on demand if they didn't see them the first time around. But it's important to keep the community active and going and, and, and enticing people to want to keep coming back. So I think that's important. I mean, we've seen all in the, in the B2C world, you know, we've seen all sorts of communities and healthcare and fitness and, Uh, beauty and and places like that where people can come together and share tips, they can learn new ways of doing things, they can um, talk to like minded peers, all sorts of things that, you know, make you feel like you have a connection to someone when otherwise, like you said, we're just here, we're just here, you know, during this pandemic. So why not connect with people who are like minded?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so one thing too is I mean, your your reports always talk about efficiency and implementation. And I am a big, big fan of doing that. And, and one thing I love these live streams. And of course, you already talked about um some some live streaming things you found. So I'm I'm literally finishing my book, right? Which is a lot of articles that I already wrote about and I I re spin them basically and add transitions and whatever. But I'm also adding things from live streams like, you know, so I'll quote you in the book um, just because I'm literally writing it right now. So I'm trying to make my content creation very efficient. And I know you guys talk about that all the time uh, in your research. What have we found that are, are people making it easier Are people still going through approval hell or, you know, is it still the hassle it was 10 years ago or how, how is it becoming easier if it is?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you'll hear a mix of opinions on that, uh, depending on the maturity of the organization, but there's no question about it. You know, there, you know, content marketing and effective content marketing isn't just about creating lots of content, you know, lots and lots and lots of content. Anybody can do that. Um, It's about creating great content, but it's also about content operations and being able to scale. And sometimes that means... You know, figuring out the best ways to reuse content, uh, to repurpose it and to stop just creating things from scratch when you've got a lot of great content that might not otherwise be seen. I mean, I don't know what their there stats out there. You know, other people have done uh, research on this, but the amount of content that's created that's never actually seen is astounding. So orga- organizations really do have to have an effective operation going on to make sure that doesn't happen. So,
1: Yeah, and it's it's very true. And let's talk about the operation in a minute. But first, I know you t- mentioned live streaming already. Um, big shout out to Restream. Uh, I do live stream with them. I don't know if you can read that URL. Um, Restream.io forward slash join forward slash ctrap. And then to top it off, in case you guys are wondering how I produce these live streams, I use Switcher Studio. Um, let me show this to you on the screen so i got stephanie and myself right here on the ipad it's my little studio uh and so every time i look down i'm not just um tweeting away i'm actually producing the show i'm muting different i'm muting her i'm muting myself depending on when i hear a cat meow in the background so um but it's become very very efficient even though it's kind of stressful when you first get started um, one of the things you talk about the the, the size of B two C content marketing teams, um, you know, increasing, decreasing, bringing things in house. What have we learned there? Are people bringing more things in house, or or what's the mix?
0: Yeah, definitely bringing things more in house. Um, in the uh, the article that you mentioned that we put up on our website just moments ago, too, uh, that Robert Rose has written, he talks about this very thing that um, this this growing trend of bringing this type of operation in-house. And and that doesn't mean that, you know, B2Cs have huge content marketing teams. They don't, you know, generally they're relatively small, but they're part of a broader team, of course. Um, And trying to have more control over great content and ways to build uh, loyalty with an audience is part of that reasoning for bringing it in house. So yeah, definitely a trend there, definitely. Does that surprise you?
1: No, it doesn't surprise me at all. And there is some things um, I think you can easily outsource, um, like for example, strategy, uh, pushing things forward. I mean, that's one of the biggest things I I still see, you know, there's so many hurdles internally sometimes. So literally when you bring somebody in, just to kind of help you get started actually can help because you don't have all those internal uh, connections. But from a production perspective, um, I think it is—it uh, can be a lot easier to do it when you're always engrossed in the content. You understand the brand. You're working with everybody in the brand. You hear, like for example, today I have a meeting with the product team. Um, you know, here at Vox Pop, me in a little bit, and basically, you know, I'm probably not going to do anything with that content, but it gives me more ideas that may help. Helps me have People asking for what's going on on the market, and if I'm just the you know I'm overstating it a little bit, but if I'm the Fiverr uh, writer, you know, and I just get the the brief, um, I really don't have that background. Yeah. So we'll we'll see we'll see how that evolves. Kind of interesting. Um, it, it, I also have some, I, I've worked with all different sizes of teams now. And I, I'm pretty sure nobody ever has a big enough team, right? I mean, if, whether it's five uh-huh. people or 20 people or 60 people, they always say, oh, we don't have enough people. I'm like, you have 60 people working on this stuff. How can you not have enough people? It's, it's kind of crazy, but um, it's true. So how do we, uh, how, what, what's your advice on how do you build your internal team? How do you get started? Like, who do you, who do you start with?
0: Yeah, so it's interesting. I asked this this very question of a lot of companies that I talk to, you know, look, wondering, uh, what they're looking for, what skill sets are they looking for? And um, so often, you know, there's a mix of, uh, you know, some brands love to go and hire former journalists, for example. Journalists are good at creating content. They're good at creating objective content. They're good at interviewing. Um, Some will go looking for skill sets now increasingly with video, you know, do you have video skill sets because visual storytelling is so important. And are you comfortable creating video content? Are you comfortable being on a live stream? That sort of thing. Uh, Content creation, editing, marketing uh, and video skills could give you a really awesome team. Even a small, you know, an awesome small team if necessary, which is usually the case. As you said, you know, uh, we have all the people we need said no marketer ever, you know. So, but that could be a pretty solid team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just kind of looking through your, I was trying to share my screen, guys, but for some reason um, that is not working today. I don't know why, but you can check out the the report in the in the links. Um, but it's interesting too, content marketing activities, B2C organizations still outsource. And the biggest piece is indeed content creation. And, and here's why I'm actually slightly, I'm surprised and not surprised by that. Here's why. Because first of all, that does take a lot of time, right? So I got yeah. today, I have the whole day blocked off to actually write a couple of articles and it's gonna take that long. And here's the other thing. People will see sometimes that I have the whole day blocked off. They say, hey, you don't have any meetings today. Can you join me for this meeting? I'm like, no, I'm writing this article, you know, and it does take time. So I can see that. But on the other hand, it can also be a challenge when you outsource it, because how do they know what you already have? How do they know how to integrate it? Right. And I mean, I think it was Andy Crestadina who talked about um, you should create less content. You should. um take your old content and update it. And I do that all the time now. I mean, I just published an article yesterday, uh, 1800 word article, I wrote 200 new words, because I didn't have to, you know, I could just update the article. So do you see that shifting down the road too? that more of the actual creation comes in house? I mean, there's still, I know it's shifting already, but there's still a big chunk of um, people doing it in house.
0: Yeah, no question about it. Um, and we're huge fans of that kind of repurposing. We do that all the time too. We'll take a an older article that was highly popular uh, and update it because we don't need to recreate it completely. Um, and I like I, I like how you know exactly how many new words you had to. That's that's pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, so the thing with content creation, what I see a lot of is uh, brands have a set or you know a network of freelancers or maybe certain people at an agency that they lean on for content creation. So in a lot of cases, that network, those freelancers are really extensions of the brand and they know the brand. They know what's important in the content. They know the culture of the brand. So it's not simply just throwing it over the fence and saying, hey, I need some content on, you know, B2C trends. There's a, there's a deeper relationship there. And this of course is where, you know, those efficiencies that we were talking about earlier and content operations come into play because it has to be driven by a brand strategy. And that strategy has to be made clear to those outsourced people, you know, so I just find that, I mean, even, even with us, you know, we work with um, a lot of the same editorial people. Even if they're not part of our staff, but they know our brand so well that they can help create content that that works for us.
1: So really, the the trick is that if you use um, outside people, make sure they understand your brand. Make sure they understand your strategy. And then, I mean, you, I mean, I, I see your content, and some of it is written by by um, I don't know freelancers, I guess um or outsourced um, resources and they do a great job and I've I've worked with some of them before. So but they know your brand, right? And in fact sometimes I I I pause there for a second because I wasn't even sure if they were outsourced or who they were, right? Because they just kind of represent your brand. So it can uh it can certainly work. Um what um what other things did we notice in the um in, in the study that's worth mentioning? I know we always talk about um budgets. Top five challenges when seeking outsourced B2C content marketing help, budget issues, um, finding partner with adequate topic expertise. That's an interesting one, because when you come as a journalist, so I'm not an expert anything other than asking questions. I like to think sometimes that goes better than others. Um, But how important is the expertise in the actual subject matter matter area? And when you hire journalists, how do they learn it?
0: Well, you know, I could make the case that while well, it's great to always have uh, subject matter experts for anything you might want to be creating content on, a good writer, a good journalist can do just about anything. You know, as long as you're talking to the right people and you are doing your research, um, I mean, let's face it, many journalists are not experts at one single thing. And But um, if you've got the good journalistic skills, whether you grew up as a journalist in your career or not, if you've got good journalistic skills, then I think you could write about just about anything, or you could interview someone just about anything. So so I don't think that is necessarily an issue. Uh, You know, other things that we saw that are are maybe worth pointing out too, that, you know, a lot of what B2Cs, uh, you know, when they look at performance and how they're measuring their performance and their successes, Uh, Of course, there's, you know, um, brand awareness. That's important, right? That's that's always important. But we did see, uh, you know, an interesting tick up, more than a tick in some cases, on establishing credibility and building loyalty. And so I think that's important when you're thinking about a content strategy and the type of content that you're putting out there. What is the intent? And we just saw such such intent around credibility and loyalty. And in this purely digital world that we're in right now, it's so critical.
1: And what's interesting about credibility as well, I mean, I think when you do these live streams, right, it's so much easier to establish it or, or even to lose it if you can't you can't pull it off, right? And uh, so if I'm just talking and talking and talking, it doesn't make any sense. At some point, people will say, this guy doesn't have any credibility. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just talking. He got, He bought a mic on on Amazon and you know, Ring Light, and now he thinks he's, a, he's an expert or a podcaster. But this is actually – so I totally agree with you, Stephanie. I think people, journalists, they can interview people, and then they can turn that into good content. What's interesting, though, is with the emergence of live streaming, we can do it live, and we can do it right now. And people don't necessarily um, – Back in the day, when we only did writing, there were some experts who would literally just pick everything apart, and it didn't sound anything like them. You've probably been in those situations. With live streaming, you take that out of it, right? Because you can hear them, you can see them, and you, you know you kind of get rid of that barrier. Um, of course, we always talk about content performance, um, and I know I'm always glad to see that in, in your research as well. Uh, and of course, my latest book, Content Performance Culture, talks about that specifically. Everybody always asks, how's it working? Is it working? Is that how is that is that good? How does it, how does that compare to other people? Um, what are we seeing when it comes to measuring success? I know you have a whole whole sections. how B2C marketers rate their organization's overall level of content marketing success. Um, what have we seen there? Is it looking um good or 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 what are people saying?
0: Yeah, certainly, certainly seeing improvements there. And, you know, for many years, the the sort of biggest stickler for so many brands, B2B and B2C, was that very thing you just said, well, how do we know this is working? How can we justify the investment when, you know, when the executive team is saying, why are we spending so much money on content? You know, how can we prove it? And so through the years, it has become critical. And, you know, different brands have different metrics, right? You know, it may be um, you know, engagement, sharing of the content, time on a website, uh, time or sharing on a video. I mean, everybody has, you know, different things that are important to them. Uh, but the most important thing is just to document those right up front. Like, what is it that we're trying to accomplish with this content? Is it simply raising awareness of our brand? Is it converting people to do something else with our brand? Whatever it is, Brands need to know, they need to have it written down, you know, and um, all content needs to be created with all of that in mind. So it's becoming, you know, there are all sorts of tools now. And I mean, you know this better than I do when, when it comes to um, some of the tools and things out there for measurement. But there are all sorts of ways that uh, make this a lot e- easier. Your thinking is worth it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what's interesting, too, is um, factors B2C marketers attribute to their organization's content marketing success in the last 12 months, we have the value our content provides 77%, which is an interesting metric, because like, like, who decides that, you know, it's funny, because um, sometimes when I write something, and somebody will edit it, I'm like, how how do you know that will perform better? Like, I literally just did research on you know what might perform here, but interesting website changes, search rankings, forty nine percent. So that's of course still important, and that's that's going to be. Uh, I was just looking at something the other day. Some somebody's website was ranking basically all the way down on the first page because all their competitors had ads on top of them. So search rankings are not what they used to be any more. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for sharing um, this research with us, for making the time bright and early on, I don't know what day it is, Wednesday, I guess. Who knows? (laughs) And um, the link is in the bottom. Um, How do, do do people participate in this research? It's not like an open call for submissions, is it right? Or, Or how do you find people to participate? No,
0: no, we send out a survey and we do it with a wonderful partner, Marketing Profs, Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're surveying our audiences. So um, highly qualified, you know, list database that we go out to. Uh, and that gives us the ability to to trend from year to year. So,
1: Got it. Yeah. And that's always what I find interesting, of course, to see. You can see how it has evolved over the years. And how many years has it run now? I think you mentioned that earlier.
0: This is the 11th, 11th annual survey. Yep.
1: So that's always wonderful to see. But the online communities is relatively new, right? That you did not ask that in in years past.
0: Right. We have Through the years, of course, we've changed it up a bit. Online communities, uh, live streaming, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, some of the newer trends that we add to it. Different social media networks, you know, get added to it with B2C's most popular, you know, is Facebook with B2B, not surprisingly LinkedIn. But now we've got Instagram and we've got Snapchat and other things that, you know, have come into play. TikTok, you know, so we evolved the survey through the years to keep up with those trends. And, of course, we're always looking for uh, what's next.
1: And, of course, we have to. I mean, 11 years, a lot of things have changed. And now we have Clubhouse. And in case you guys didn't see it, I just – this is actually the article I updated last night. Uh, Now um, Twitter is rolling out Twitter Spaces which is basically just like Clubhouse, except it's on Twitter. So my question is, why do I need Clubhouse if I can't just do it on Twitter where I already have a community? So certainly it's hard to keep track. Stephanie, thanks for making the time. Really appreciate you coming on the show.
0: So happy to be here. Have a great day.
1: You too. Thanks everyone for watching and listening. Until next time. I'm currently accepting requests for future virtual and on-site keynotes and workshops in 2020 alone i've spoken in singapore and istanbul virtually of course thanks COVID. i can't wait to get back on the road and if we still can't get on the road in 2021 i would be happy to speak at your event virtually please reach out to me ctrap at gmail.com or authentic